وَوَاعَدْنَا And we made an appointment with who? Musa, Musa alayhi salam. How long was that appointment supposed to be? ثَلَاثِينَ لَيْلَةً Thirty nights. وَأَتْمَمْنَاهَا And we completed it, meaning those thirty nights, they were completed with بِعَشْرٍ with ten more. So initially, Musa alayhi salam was supposed to go for thirty nights. But when he was there, that appointment was extended to ten more. So what happened then? فَتَمَّ So it was completed. ميقاتو Appointment رَبِّهِ Of his Lord أَرْبَعِينَ Forty لَيْلَةً Nights So initially thirty Extended to ten more So Musa salam was there for how long? How long? Forty nights Now in the desert of Sinai When the Bani Israel crossed the sea They were in the desert of Sinai As they made their way through the desert Towards Palestine Back home Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called Musa salam for an appointment Where? On Mount Tur Why? In order to give him the book In order to give him the Torah Some messages are so important and noble That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send them Rather he calls his servants to Receive them. The Prophet ﷺ, every single command that was given to him, it was sent down to him. But the command of salah, what happened? He was called up to the heavens. And then he was given that command. Musa ﷺ also, he was made to come to Mount Tur in order to receive the Torah. Now you see, if you are given something in your house, Okay? Then do you value it as much? Do you value it as much? Like for example, since you were born, you saw certain furniture in your house. Right? It's always been there. So what happens? You don't value it that much. Let's say there's a coffee table. You put something heavy on it. Okay? And it leaves a scratch. You leave something sharp on it. It destroys the paint. Right? And you leave, let's say, a bottle of water that is leaking on it. And you don't take care of it. And what happens? It leaves a stain. Right? Why aren't you so concerned about it? Because it's old, you're bored of it, you don't value it that much. But if there is a piece of furniture that you go and choose yourself, you go, you have to strive in order to get it, and let's say you go find out there's a back order, okay, and then you have to wait for like seven months or something, and then finally that table arrives. Have you ever done that ever? Has it ever happened to you? Or am I talking about things that are nonsensical? Hmm? When you have to wait for something, when you have to go and search for something, then what happens? You value it even more. Right? So, some people, when they're given knowledge at home, they don't give much importance to it. But when they have to travel every weekend for 45 minutes, every day, you know, to there and back home, then what happens? They value what they're getting. Isn't it? Isn't it? They value what they're getting because they're striving for it. If you have to go to school that is two hours away from your house or let's say it's in a different city and you have to move there, then every single day you value because you know what you are sacrificing in order to get this. So this is why we see that traveling in order to learn is something that is 
very much appreciated. Why? Because when a person will travel for it, he will leave his home, his comfort, in order to receive it, then he will value it much, much more. So Musa a.s. he was made to come to Mount Tur. And he was supposed to be there for how long? 30 nights. It doesn't mean that he was only supposed to be there for the nights and for the days he would go back. No. Days are included in that. And this was extended to 40. Now the question is, why so long? Why not just an hour or two? I mean, Musa a.s. comes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him the Torah and khalas. That's it. Why 30 nights extended to 40? Because in order to receive something valuable, you have to dedicate some time to it. You have to be spiritually prepared in order to receive it. Musa a.s. for those 30 nights, for those 40 nights, he was worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He worshipped Allah. Because in order to receive the scripture, you have to have the capacity within your heart in order to contain it. Because otherwise, a person will learn and the words will just bounce back. The heart has to be soft and ready. You know like ground, mud, soil, if you wish to plant some seeds in it, what do you do? Has anyone done anything like that in the summer? What do you do? First, you have to prepare the ground. Right? Especially after the winter is here, you have to really soften it. And sometimes it takes a long time. You have to soften the ground. You have to put the fertilizer in it. You have to prepare it. And then you put the seed. Because if the soil is not prepared and you just put the seed like that, then what will happen? It'll die. It'll die. It won't grow anything. And whatever it grows, it won't be that great. So Musa a.s. worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those 30 nights, for those 40 nights. Even Prophet Muhammad s.a.w. before he received prophethood, where would he go? Where would he go? To the cave. Right? And what would he do in the cave? We learn, يَتَحَنَّثْ He would worship Allah. Because the people of Arabia, they did believe in Allah. Alright? So he worshipped Allah. Because with the worship of Allah, you develop that strength, that capacity in order to contain the book of Allah. So we see that the prophets of Allah, they spent dedicated and uninterrupted time as students of knowledge. Hmm? Dedicated and uninterrupted time. Musa a.s. was taken away from Bani Israel. Because if he remained in Bani Israel every day, they would come up with some problem, some question. That would disturb Musa a.s. Imagine how he must have felt when the Bani Israel said to him, we want an idol. If you were in that place, what would you do? Like literally you would hold your head. Like for God's sake, what's wrong with you people? Don't you get it? So imagine if he was within the Bani Israel, constantly disturbed and distracted, would he be able to receive the Torah? No. So likewise, if we want to study our lesson, then can we ever sit in front of the television? with our juz open, and we're trying to memorize our lesson? Is it possible? Is it possible? No. And if you have your cell phone right next to you, and you say, I'm trying to memorize my lesson, and you read half a line, and then beep, beep, and you check your phone. And then you read half a line, and then again, somebody calls, so you're distracted again. And somebody comes and talks to you about something. If you cannot focus, you cannot learn. 
If you're not able to focus, you can never ever learn. The prophets of Allah were made to focus. And this is something that we have to do as well. And what is necessary for that? You have to control your nafs. You have to put your phone away. Literally leave it in your bag. Don't take it out when you get home. Leave it there. So what if somebody calls? Not a big deal. If it's an emergency, they can get to me through some other way. Right? Because people do that. When they want to reach you, they reach you through some way or the other. So don't worry about the entire world at that time. Focus on your work. Because if you focus for half an hour even, you can get so much out of that. As opposed to spending two, three hours in which you are constantly distracted. So if we want to learn something, remember, we must, must focus. We must be uninterrupted at that time. One of the scholars, he said, أَعْطِي الْعِلْمَ كُلَّكَ تَأْخُذْ بَعْضَهُ That give knowledge all of yourself. If you want to learn something, dedicate everything of yours to it. Your time, your money, your energy, your mind. Focus on it completely, 100%. And when you will do that, then you'll be able to take بَعْضَهُ Some of it then you'll be able to take some of it. And if we dedicate only some of ourselves to learning, then how much will we get? Hardly anything. Hardly anything. And then we'll say, but I tried to memorize and I can't get it. I tried to study, but I cannot pass the test. There's two kinds of people. People who are focused on their studies. You know, like for instance, if you go to a university, let's say in the medical science building or something, And you will find students walking around literally in their pajamas. Why? They have no time to even dress up every day. Right? They have their books and their... Especially around exam time, you'll see that. But then there are some other people you see, they're dressed so perfectly, their hair is made, their makeup, their jewelry, everything's coordinated. Their time goes into these things. So what happens then? What happens then? They remain, you know, as those people who are only concerned about dressing up, and when it comes to their actual studies, they don't know anything. Or they can't go much farther. Right? Recently somebody was telling me about someone who's studying for a certain medical uh, exams, and he says he has no time to exercise at all, because he's studying 14 hours a day, 20 hours a day, literally, and he's concerned about his health. I'm like, go to the gym. No time. No time to even go to the gym. So this is what happens to people who become so focused on their work, on their studies, everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes secondary. And that becomes a priority. And when they study like this, then they get something. Then they get something out of their lives. Right? So Musa a.s. he was made to leave everything. Imagine 30 nights and that was turned to 40. He's there all alone, not even a single human being to talk to. Can you imagine? Not even a single human being to talk to. 40 nights and 40 days. But this is what enabled him to receive the book of Allah. So what happened then? وَقَالَ Musa And Musa salam said, meaning before he left for that appointment, he said, لِأَخِيهِ to his brother. Who was his brother? Harun, Harun a.s. And remember that Harun a.s. was also made a prophet. But Musa a.s. was the one in authority. 
Because even if there are two people who are assigned a particular job, one should be given more authority than the other. Why? Because one person should be able to make the final decision. Yes? Exactly, to avoid disputes. Even if there are two people, one should be made the Amir. Because then, you know, in courtesy they will say, no, whatever you want, no, whatever you say. And then in their heart they're like, oh, they don't have any respect for me. They don't want me to share this responsibility with them. Hmm? So even if there's two people, one is made the Amir. Which is why in a family, when it comes to husband and wife, Both have obligations, both have rights, both have responsibilities, but one has been given one daraja over the other. Why? To make those final decisions that everyone will accept. So anyway, Musa salam, he was given the leadership, but when he was leaving for this appointment, for this very long appointment, what did he do? He said to his brother Harun, أُخْلُفْنِي فِي قَوْمِي Take my place among my people. Meaning, when I'm away, you are the leader. You are the one in charge over the Bani Israel. Accept this position and be the leader. Lead them. وَأَصْلِحْ And reform. Meaning, whenever problems arise, seek solutions for them. And be careful. وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ And do not follow سَبِيلَ الْمُبْسِدِينَ The way of the mischief makers. Because in every group of people, there are some people who are good, obedient, compliant, and there are some people who are problematic. In the sense that every now and then, they will create problems. So, Musa salam warned him that be careful. Do not follow the way of those who make problems. Be careful. Be on your guard against them. And whenever problems arise, seek solutions for them. What do we learn over here? That when Musa salam went for something very, very, very important to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to receive the Torah, he didn't leave the Bani Israel unattended. He didn't leave them on their own. That you take care of yourself and basically he didn't leave them to fend for themselves. He left And he appointed a leader. Someone to do what he was doing. Because a person who takes his work seriously, who takes responsibility of his work, then what happens is that whether he is there or not there, he wants to make sure that the work continues. He wants to make sure that no one suffers because of his absence. And the absence could be for a genuine reason. And if there is a person who just says one day, Oh, I'm not coming. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. Then what does that show? That they don't take ownership of their work. They don't take responsibility of the work that has been assigned to them. And because of them, others will suffer. Now for example, if I were to say one day, I'm not coming. I'm too busy. I have to go to my friend's house. She had a baby. I have to go help her out. So sorry, I can't teach you guys. Is that acceptable? I should try that one day. <laughs> if I did it, and imagine all of you come, and you find out there's no tafsir class at all. Why? Sister Thamia's at her friend's house. 
Would that be acceptable at all? No. Why? Because then so many people, their time is going to get wasted. Their lesson is going to be affected. Correct? So, if I don't show up for some genuine reason, let's say there is an emergency, and because of that, I'm genuinely not able to come. Let's say I get a cold and I have no voice. And I can't come and teach you. Then in that case, what should I do? I should just tell Sister Sadi and Sister Shaykha, you know what, deal with it. I can't come, too bad. What should I do? Hmm? That we should make arrangements, find an alternate. Okay, I am not able to come, but the work must continue. So I say, it's okay inshallah for two weekends, hopefully the class will understand and they will listen to the recordings. Alright? So there has to be some kind of replacement. Or I say that, okay, so-and-so sister, inshallah she will come and teach the class. But if I say, I'm not coming, you deal with it. That's very, very irresponsible. So remember, every single person must take responsibility of their work. Take it seriously. Follow the way of the prophets. And if you have to be absent because of genuine reason for a good cause, then please, don't just not show up. Inform from before. Find a substitute. Find a replacement before you go. No matter what kind of work you're doing. Any kind of work. You know, for example, if there's someone who gives you a ride, and one morning, you're waiting, they're not coming, they're not coming, and you call them, they're like, oh, I'm not going today. What do you say? You should have told me earlier. I could have made some other arrangements. Right? So, what is necessary? That we make other arrangements before we leave the work. And that's exactly what Musa salam did. And don't just assign someone, please go and do this. Tell them what to do. Musa salam explained to Harun salam what he was supposed to do. Aslih, la tattabi'u sabil al-mufsideen. Because if you just told him, you know what, just look after the Bani Israel, what would he do? How was he supposed to know what he was supposed to do? So it's necessary that if we are not able to do our work, first of all, we find a replacement, and secondly, we tell them what to do, how to do their work properly. وَلَمَّا and when جَاءَ مُوسَى Musa salam came لِمِقَاتِنَا for our appointment وَكَلَّمَهُ and he spoke to him who? رَبُّهُ his Lord Musa salam he went to Mantur for the appointment and we learn from another place in the Quran that he came early and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him why he said وَعَجِلْتُ إِلَيْكَ رَبِّ لِتَرْضَى I came to you quickly Allah so that you would be happy because when you love someone, then you want to come to them quickly. So when he came, Musa salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him. Now imagine Musa salam heard Allah. Words, sounds. Just imagine. The Prophet ﷺ, he was given the Qur'an. And... It was given to him through Jibreel. Jibreel recited the Qur'an to him. And Musa salam, who spoke to him directly? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was not the first time Allah spoke to Musa salam. Musa salam is called Kalimullah. 
the one whom Allah spoke to. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him at many, many occasions. So, وَكَلَّمَهُ رَبُّهُ His Lord spoke to him. Now imagine if you can hear the sounds, the words. Aren't you curious? Aren't you curious about where those sounds are coming from? Who, what that being looks like? So Musa salam, out of that love for Allah, that curiosity, قَالَ He said, Rabbi, oh my Lord, أَرِنِي, show me. Please show me. Anzur, I look ilayka to you. I want to see you. Please show yourself to me. This was not because Musa salam, didn't believe. He had a doubt about the existence of Allah. Not at all. You see, let me give you an example. If there is someone from your family or your friends who lives in a different city, different country, or let's say they're away, and you're talking to them, and you haven't seen them for a while, what do you do? Say, can you turn the video on please? Can you turn the video on please? That's FaceTime. Hmm? Why? Because when you love them, you don't want to just hear them. You want to see them. Right? You want to see them. Has it ever happened? Yeah? All the time. It happens with me all the time. My dad, he insists... Turn the video on. I want to see the kids. Hmm? So this is natural. That you want to see the one whom you are listening to. And you want to see the one whom you love. So Musa salam requested Allah, please, I want to see you. So Allah qala, he said, لَن تَرَانِي You can't see me. You cannot see me. This doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be seen by people. Because Allah did not say, Lan ura, I cannot be seen. Rather, He said, You cannot see me. Which means that it is possible to see Allah. However, you, with the limited capacity that you have, the human body that you have right now, with that, you are not able to see Allah. And also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alim, is great. And seeing Allah is a privilege. It is a privilege being able to see Allah. And this privilege is granted to who? Those who prove themselves worthy of this privilege. When, where do they prove themselves worthy? In this life. If they live a life of obedience, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will privilege such people on the day of judgment by enabling them to see Him. And if a person lives a life of heedlessness, of sin, being far from Allah, then such people, they won't be able to see Allah on the Day of Judgment. In the Qur'an we learn, وَجُوهُ يَوْمَئِذٍ نَاظِرَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهَا نَاظِرَ Some faces that day will be very happy, glowing. Why? Because they'll be seeing Allah. They'll be seeing their Lord. In a hadith we learn, the Prophet ﷺ once he was sitting with his companions, full moon, and he said, that on the Day of Judgment, you'll be able to see Allah as easily as you see this moon. As easily as you see this moon. La tudamuna. In another narration, la tudahuna. That you won't find any difficulty, you won't have any confusion in seeing Allah. But, there's a condition. And what is that? That do not be overcome in the matter of two prayers. Which prayers? Fajr and Asr. So if a person has a habit of praying Fajr regularly, on time, and Asr 
regularly on time then on the day of judgment he will see Allah she will see Allah and if a person has a habit of sleeping through fajr sleeping through fajr delaying asr to the point of missing it literally then that person might be deprived they might be deprived so Musa alayhi he wanted to see Allah Allah told him you can't see me right now but to satisfy Musa alayhi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed to him how and why it was not possible for him to see. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَكِنْ بَتْ أُنظُرْ لُكْ أَتْ إِلَى الْجَبَلْ To the mountain. Look at the mountain. فَإِن so if إِسْتَقَرَّ It remains stable. مَكَانَهُ In its place. فَسَوْفَ then soon تَرَانِي You will see me. If the mountain remains in its place, then you'll be able to see me. Because the mountain is bigger and tougher and stronger than a human being. Right? So if the mountain has the strength to withstand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's nur, then okay, you might even have a chance. But if the mountain cannot withstand the nur of Allah, then you with your little eyes don't have any chance of seeing Allah in this world, in this life. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, when he went for the ascension, the night journey, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him, gave him the gift of the prayers. Later on, someone asked him, that, did you see your Lord? And he said, Nurun, anna urahu. He's Nur, how can I see him? Meaning, I don't have the capacity to see Allah, this limited human body. We don't have that capacity. So, فَلَمَّا then when تَجَلَّى He cast... He appeared. The jalla is from the root letters jim, lam, wow. And jalwun is basically to throw light. Okay, to throw light. And tajalla is to cast one's light. So tajalla, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He cast some of His light, He manifested some of His light, where? On the mountain. فَلَمَّا تَجَلَّى رَبُّهُ jabal On the mountain. What happened to the mountain? جَعَلَهُ He made it the level dakka from the root letters dal kaf kaf dak is to crumble break crush something so that it is leveled leveled flattened completely so dakka meaning madkuk it was the mountain was flattened the mountain could not bear could not withstand some of the nur of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if the mountain was not able to then the eyes of musa alayhi it would be impossible for them to see even a little of the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happened? Because of that mountain flattening to the ground, وَخَرَّ And he fell, Musa, Musa alayhi salam, سَعِقَ Unconscious. سَعِق صَادْعِنْ قَافْ سَعِقَ from the same root is used for thunderbolt, loud blast. So سَعِق is to fall unconscious because of some loud blast. Okay? That a person, he could not bear that sound or that blast. As a result of that, he fell unconscious. So Musa salam, he fell unconscious. فَلَمَّا then when أَفَاقَ He awoke, he regained consciousness. أَفَاقَ He recovered. From the root letters, فَوَوْقَافْ okay? To recover after sickness, to regain consciousness. So when he recovered, قَالَ He said, سُبْحَانَكَ Perfect are you, Allah. Tubutu ilayka. I repent to you. Wa ana awwalul mu'minin. And I am the first of the believers. Meaning, he apologized for making 
an inappropriate request. Because we believe that yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do anything, everything. It's possible for Allah. But there's some requests, some questions, or rather some demands that should never be made. Because they are inappropriate. They are unbefitting. It does not befit your position to make such a request, to make such a demand. And it does not befit the majesty of Allah that you ask Him for such things. Like for instance, if there is an elderly person, also very knowledgeable, someone who has a great position in the family, if you're around them, and you ask them, can you please pass me a tissue? And your mother, she gives you that look. What are you doing? How dare you ask them? Because it is so disrespectful. Correct? It is considered very, very disrespectful. Or for instance, children, you know, sometimes they ask for anything. And what happens? Their grandparents, they have come, and the children ask, what did you bring me? And you're like, be quiet. What are you saying? We don't ask such questions. We don't make such demands. Right? Or you go to somebody's house and the children say, can I have some juice? You're like, just have the water that they served you. Right? So you might say, what's the big deal? But the thing is that certain questions, it does not befit a person to ask them. Certain demands, it does not befit a person to make them. So likewise, Musa salam he realized, I shouldn't have asked this. This is why he apologized. He repented. And he said, I'm the first of the believers. I have no doubt at all. Not at all. I believe with conviction, with certainty. Qala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya Musa, O Musa, inni, indeed I, istafaituka, I have chosen you. Ala nas above all people. How? Birisalati, with my messages. Wabi kalami, and with my words. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Musa alayhi salam, messages, meaning certain commands, the scripture, the Torah, and he also spoke to him. Kalam. Allah spoke to him. So I have chosen you. I have gifted you with these blessings. فخذ, so take ma that which ataituka I gave you. Whatever I have given you, hold on to it. And be of those who are grateful. What do we learn here? That when a servant is given knowledge of Allah's book, Allah's kalam, Allah's risalat, then he should realize that Allah has chosen him above other servants. So he should never ever leave this blessing. And he should always remain grateful for it. Because this blessing, no matter how long a person has had it for, or no matter how long it has been since he was given it, this blessing never fades out. This blessing never becomes too old to forget. The blessing of Hidayah, the blessing of Qur'an, the blessing of Allah's message. You might say, yeah, yeah, it's been two years, I'm very grateful, alhamdulillah, but yeah, what's the big deal? No, every single day, we should be grateful for this blessing. In fact, we should increase in our gratitude. Because with every new verse that we learn, we are being given more and more blessings. And the more blessings a person gets, he should be more grateful for it. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا 
Because of it, they should be happy. Because huwa khayrun mimma yajmarun. It is the best of that which the people gather. Wakatabna and we wrote. Notice, we wrote. Who wrote? Who wrote? Who does we refer to? Who does we refer to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself wrote lahu for Him, meaning for Musa alayhi salam, fil alwah in the tablets. Alwah is the plural of lawh. And lawh is basically a hard, wide, flat piece of something. Whether it is of wood or some metal or some stone. Hard, it's tough, it's wide, alright? And it's flat. Could even be of a bone. Because long time ago, people would use camel bones. Because certain bones are very wide. They would use camel bones in order to write on. So Musa salam was given the Torah in a written form. The Qur'an was given to the Prophet ﷺ how? Orally. Right? Jibreel came and recited the Qur'an to the Prophet ﷺ. But the Torah, it was given in a written form to Musa ﷺ. And what was it written on? Not paper, but rather tablets. What material were those tablets of? Allahu A'lam. Allahu A'lam. But you see, imagine there's a rock. Okay, and something is engraved in it. Engraved, some writing. It's going to be preserved for much, much longer. Right? So, Musa was given the Torah in that way. And Allah Himself wrote the Torah. So, وَكَتَبْنَا لَهُ فِي الْأَلْوَاحِ We wrote for Him in the tablets, مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Everything. Doesn't mean every single thing was written in the alwah. No. Every single thing that was relevant and important to the Bani Israel. Meaning everything that was necessary for them to know. Like in the Quran, we learn about everything that is necessary for us to know. Right? Every beneficial matter, we learn about it in the Quran. Whether it is about family life, or it is about inheritance, or it is about divorce, or it is about money. So many things we learn about them from where? From the Qur'an. So likewise, in the Torah also, every beneficial, relevant matter was written. Maw'idha, an admonition, meaning an advice. Maw'idha is basically such advice that motivates a person to do something. You know, one is that you just tell someone, you should do this, this, and this, and this. Now go do it. And the other is that you tell them, you should do this because this is the benefit. You should do this because this is how it's going to help you. You should do this because you know it's going to make you happier. Or you should refrain from this because these are the harms. So when you tell someone in this way, then they're motivated to act. So the law that was given to the Bani Israel, remember, it wasn't just dry it wasn't dry laws. Do this and don't do this. Rather, it had mawa'ila in it. It motivated them. وَتَفْصِيلًا And a detail. لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ For everything. Meaning every detail that was necessary for the Bani Israel to know, it was written in the Torah. So Allah told Musa alayhi salam, فَخُذْهَا So hold it, take it. بِقُوَّةٍ With strength. How? Hold your juice. Pick up your juice. How would you take it with strength? How? Okay. It's basically in two ways. In the hissy sense and in the marnawi sense. Hissy sense, in the physical sense. If you're holding a book with strength, meaning 
you're holding on to it firmly so then what happens you don't drop it right you won't lose it it won't get ruined but if you are not holding on to the book strongly with firmness then what will happen you're holding it and you get sleepy and what happens it falls right or you're not holding on to it firmly properly and what happens something dirty falls on it some water falls on it and as a result whatever you had written is now smeared you can't read anything has it ever happened to you like you've written something a lot of stuff and let's say you were crying okay and those tears they dropped and everything is smudged you can't read it anymore hmm? so anyway hissy sense hold on to the book with strength with firmness meaning don't drop it this adab must be shown to the book of allah and in the manawi sense hold on to it with firmness meaning hold on to it and don't leave it hold on to it and don't leave it like for example if you have your phone hmm and you love it and you realize that it's very very important to you then where is it it's in your pocket it's in your bag it's in your hand you don't just leave it anywhere right so it means hold on to the book and do not leave it adhere to the book do what the book tells you follow the commands that have been given to you in it refrain from the prohibitions that are mentioned in it hold on to the book because if you leave it if you drop it if you break your connection with it then you're gone then you've lost your religion hold on to the book and a person can only hold on to the book when he has understood it because if he doesn't understand it how can he implement it so fakhudha biquwa and in order to hold on to the book sometimes we have to hold on to the pen biquwa so show me your pen some people don't have their pens in their hands or their pencils and if you're not writing properly then what happens you get sleepy and then later on you find out so many scribbles on your jizz So hold on to the book with firmness meaning understand it learn it review it and then implement it remain with it adhere to it don't forget it for those five days in the middle hmm because if you only pick up your Quran on Saturday and Sunday and five days you don't pick it up at all then what will happen when you come back next Saturday and Sunday you will come back with a blank slate you will have forgotten everything so musa alislam was advised fakhudha biquwatin wa'mur and order qaumaka your people tell your people also the bani israel that ya'khudhu they should take bi ahsaniha with its best tell the people to hold on to the most excellent parts of the book now isn't the entire book good question i'm asking you isn't the entire book that allah has given good Yes, every single ayah, every single word is good. But why does Allah say, "Tell the people to hold on to the best parts of it?" Doesn't mean that there are parts of it that are not best. Yes. You see, there's two kinds of verses in the book. We learned about it in Surah Ali Imran. Some are muhkamat and the other are mutashabihat. Muhkamat are those verses that are related to you. in the sense that you have to do something the command is being given to you 
it is relevant to you, it applies to you, it has to do everything with you, you have to apply it. It has to do with your amal basically. Okay? And there are other parts of the book which are not directly applying to you. In the sense that they don't have much to do with your amal. They're necessary for us to know for our iman. They're important things that Allah has informed us of. But when it comes to amal, they're not relevant. So for example, in the Qur'an we learn about the asa, the staff of Musa a.s. And if a person says, oh that staff was five feet long, and it was two inches wide, And the others say, no, no, it's not possible for it to be two inches wide. It must have been one and a half inches wide. And it must have been four feet long. And others say that it was of a particular tree. And they say, no, no, it wasn't made of wood. It was of this, it was of that. What benefit is this discussion? Is it of any benefit? No. First of all, can you ever be sure about the details of that staff? Never. Why? Because you have no means of finding out. You have no means of being sure about it. Secondly, even if you were to know the exact details of that asa, how is it going to improve your prayers? How is it going to improve your charity? Does it have anything to do with your actions? No, it doesn't. Now, what happens is that sometimes we get distracted and we start focusing on those matters which don't have much to do with our amal. Like for instance, sometimes we just focus on the words. Oh, look at this word, such a beautiful expression, amazing. And look at the way the sentence structure is. And this word, this is what it means. It's good to know this stuff. And trust me, I've gone through this. It's good to know this stuff. But does it apply to your amal? If it's going to help you understand better so that your actions can improve, very good. But if it's not going to help you improve in your actions, then that knowledge is what? It's a burden. It's a burden. So our focus when studying the Qur'an should not just be to appreciate the language and the words, but it should be to do something. To bring a change in our lives. To become a better person. I'm not saying that stop memorizing the word to word. No, that's very important. Memorize that. You should know the root words. You should know the singular plurals. You should know the meaning of the word, the depth of it. Because it helps you understand better. Once you understand, then you can implement. But understanding the text only should not be your objective. If that is your only objective, then there's a big problem. Our objective should be understand and implement. Because the Bani Israel, they're scholars. What problem did they fall into? This problem. They have books and books, okay? Discussions over what is permissible and what is not. And there's a lot of discussion over that. Details of it. Details of God, details of the prophets, details of things that are irrelevant without any knowledge. Without any knowledge. And because of that, they have a lot of information. But when it comes to amal, Zero. When it comes to amal, zero. So for instance, if we want to study the Qur'an, and we want to improve our recitation, so we focus a lot on improving our tajweed, we learn the rules, okay? We strive to get an ijazah. But remember, that's not the only purpose of learning the Qur'an. 
you should learn to recite well and you should also learn to implement. Because the Qur'an was not sent down just to be recited. It was sent down to be recited and to be acted upon. So the Bani Israel were told that they should يَأْخُذُوا بِأَحْسَنِهَا They should hold on to the ahsan part of the book. Meaning, from every ayah, they should try to take out, they should try to get to what they can implement. What they can apply. Every ayah, we must relate with ourselves. What can I do? How can I learn from this? How can I become a better person because of this? سَأُرِيكُمْ Allah says, soon I will show you دَارَ الْفَاسِقِينَ The home of the sinful. Meaning, in your journeys now, you will see, you will come across the homes of the people who were sinful. Meaning the ruins of the people of the past. Who got busy in just making their dar, in just making their homes, and who neglected the commands of Allah. Because when Allah gives His book to some people, and they leave the book, and they just busy themselves in making their homes, decorating their homes, looking after their homes. And because of that, they don't learn the book, they don't revise the book, they don't implement the book. Then such people become deserving of Allah's wrath. May Allah protect us. Let's listen to the recitation. وَوَاعَدْنَا مُوسَى ثَلَاثِينَ لَيْلَةً وَأَتْمَنَّاهَا بِعَشْرٍ فَتَمَّ مِيقَاتُ رَبِّهِ أَرْبَعِينَ لَيْلَةً وَقَالَ مُوسَى لِأَخِيهِ هَارُونَ اخْلُفْنِي فِي قَوْمِي وَأَصْلِحْ وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ الْمُفْسِدِينَ وَلَمَّا جَاءَ مُوسَى لِمِيقَاتِنَا وَكَلَّمَهُ رَبُّهُ قَالَ رَبِّ أَرِنِي أَنظُرْ إِلَيْكَ قَالَ لَن تَرَانِي وَلَكِنِ انظُرْ إِلَى الْجَبَلِ فَإِنِ اسْتَقَرَّ مَكَانَهُ فَسَوْفَ تَرَانِي فَلَمَّا تَجَلَّى رَبُّهُ لِلْجَبَلِ جَعَلَهُ دَكًّا وَخَرَّ مُوسَى صَعِقًا فَلَمَّا أَفَاقَ قَالَ سُبْحَانَكَ تُبْتُ إِلَيْكَ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ قَالَ يَا مُوسَى إِنِّي اصْطَفَيْتُكَ عَلَى النَّاسِ بِرِسَالَاتِي وَبِكَلَامِي فَخُذْ مَا آتَيْتُكَ وَكُمْ الشاكرين وكتبنا له في الالواح من كل شيء موعظه وتفصيلا لكل شيء فخذها بقوه وامر قومك ياخذوا باحسنها سأريكم دار الفاسقين 